Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski. Please welcome our three special guests. We have Doug Gobeski. Hello. Kevin Vredevog. Hello. And Paul Wilcox. Happy to be on. We're back with our sixth installment of our sci-fi shuffle. This week, we're going to talk about the 1981 film Scanners. I decided to pick Scanners. Uh, the reason I chose it was I have seen it before, and it just felt like the sort of movie that I've always really enjoyed. Sort of an 80s, like it seems like the sort of thing like I just like randomly catch on TV and not know what it was, like an 80s movie, like action film or a thriller. Film. Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> There's action. Yeah. There's lots of guns. an action film, though. Sure, like a thriller film and like weird practical effects and things like that. But this is actually one that I sought out, I think, much later, maybe about hmm, I think about six years ago or so. And I thought it would be, I don't know, sort of an interesting, slightly different film than we had watched in the series so far. But what about everybody else? Had anyone seen this before? I had not seen this before. I did buy the Criterion Collection Edition at the Barnes & Noble sale in preparation for this, though. So thanks for the heads up. Not only had I not seen this before, but this is actually the first of any of David Cronenberg's films that I've seen. Ooh, no kidding. All right. David Cronenberg, who uh, is best known, of course, for his role on Star Trek Discovery as (laughs) Dr. Kovic. (laughs) I think almost exclusively best known for that and nothing else. Don't quote me on that. So I have actually seen this movie before. According to my records, I watched it on April 28th 2021 via hbo max r.i.p <laughs> your, your records yes specifically yes. a text message to adam ah. stating just watched scanners it was not what i expected in a good way <laughs> okay uh, uh far less head explosions than i expected <laughs> yeah i was promised wall-to-wall head explosions <laughs> I had not seen the movie prior to, uh, I suppose, last night when I watched it, uh, though I had probably seen the head explosion scene in popular culture multiple times. Can I ask a question? No. Okay. You are welcome to, of course. You can ask me. Did, uh, it's a Kevin-specific question. Oh, Ooh, never mind. That's exciting. Uh, did you watch this before or after the musical episode of Strange New Worlds? I, I started with Scanners and then transitioned into the musical episode of Strange New Worlds. And, which uh, I think is the order I would recommend in general. Tonally, how was that whiplash? Uh, <laughs> it, it was whiplashed into a positive direction as opposed to, you know, the opposite. So, uh, it, again, made for an interesting double feature, but <laughs> that is definitely the recommended order. Gotcha. Um, and I had not seen this either. Went in pretty knowledge-free. The end. Probably, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's about it. <laughs> it's been another episode. Although I was, like, looking through his, <laughs> looking through his list of... <laughs> The sci-fi shuffle. Had you seen it? <laughs> yes, I had. All right, next time. Uh, <laughs> boy, I guess we should have talked about this beforehand. Uh, <laughs> but I was I was trying to see what movies I had actually seen by Cronenberg, and I was going to say zero until I realized that I saw a history of violence in the theater when it came out. 
have folks not seen The Fly with Jeff Goldblum? Oh. That was one of his, right? So I had yeah. seen it. That's that's a movie uh, that I definitely caught like the middle of on TV a lot. Mm. Yeah, like I feel like I might have seen occasional scenes from that, but I can't say I've ever sat down and watched it even on TV. Same. Yeah, like heavy play on the cable channels back in the day too. Like yes, <laughs> TNT and. Well, as yeah. someone who didn't grow up with cable, yeah. that was not really an option. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely came to the conclusion from what little I did see that it was not something that I was wanting to watch. Yeah. Not not a big fan of the body horror stuff. Body horror at its worst. Agreed. <laughs> this is... <laughs> this movie has less body horror than I was expecting the first time I saw it. It was really just <laughs> yeah. that that last scene or the last scan versus scan scene, whatever the heck it was going on. That that scene's got a little gross for me. But no, besides that, kind of toned down. Yeah, I was kind of mentally bracing myself for something far worse than what we got. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of pleased by that as someone who also is not a huge fan of the body horror stuff. Only two eyeballs melted in this film. Two thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) So the background on this film is that David Cronenberg had done a a few movies before this. And he, I think, combined a couple of screenplays, a couple of ideas he had into the idea for this movie. And then for whatever reason, in order to keep the funding for the movie because of the tax breaks, he suddenly had to produce and shoot the movie over the course of like a couple of months in order to get like tax breaks before the end of the year. (laughs) So he actually really didn't enjoy making this movie. Uh, He didn't have the script ready ahead of time. Like he had like only an early draft of it. He was continually revising it as they were shooting the film. Like something that was different was actually the ending was different. Like they had conceived like a different dual scene altogether. Yeah. And apparently Jennifer O'Neill was a little bit hesitant to continue with the film because she didn't realize like how like kind of gross it was going to be or how violent it was going to be because things kept changing and she only got the parts of the script that like she was involved in and they kept changing. Um, But no, everything came through by the end of it. It was actually fairly well received and made a decent amount of money. But yeah, there's a couple of scenes with pretty fun practical effects like the but they only really occur at the beginning and the end of the movie. Just kind of strange. You expect it to be all the way through, especially for a movie that's head explodes movie. <laughs> I mean, there were lots of, there were lots of gunshots and stuff. Yeah. Oh, there's also sure. yeah. pyrokinesis. Yeah. Nosebleeds. I guess that explains. I did have a question about why, when the car crashed, it immediately blew up. I mean, that happens a in a lot of movies. Yeah. Because it was the 1980s. <laughs> Everyone was driving Char- gremlins. Charlie, I had a question about why the phone booth exploded. <laughs> <laughs> what What in a payphone is explosive? <laughs> <laughs> but that makes sense. Yeah. Just pyrokinesis. It's, yeah, it's part of the nervous system now. It just has the nervous system of the phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie. Ooh, reach out and touch someone, huh? <laughs> Charlie, is this a Canadian film? Uh, it is certainly a Canadian film. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> so is this our first Canadian film? I think so, yeah. Is it our last Canadian film? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right, good to know. We're not only doing Canadian films. I mean, oh, wow. Arrival was kind of a Canadian film, right? Didn't we determine that the university was in Canada? Uh, 
We determined it was filmed in Canada, but I think their objective. You mean production set in Canada? Ah, uh, and yeah, I don't know that it was. Well, this movie isn't really set in Canada, though. Are you kidding? <laughs> like just looking at all that stuff, I'm like, they're in Montreal. <laughs> Look at all this French. <laughs> yes, oh, so but it's not going on. really meant to be Montreal, <laughs> is it? It's just sort of meant to be North America. Montreal's in North America. Mexico's in North America, too. I'm just going off of what Wikipedia said. Exactly. Uh, So people were expecting, I mean, David Cronenberg's known for sort of body horror, weird practical effects, morphing people into different things. And you were expecting a lot of that, it sounds like. Certainly more than we got. I was kind of like, oh, this has a bit more of a cop movie feel than I expected. Originally... I didn't I didn't realize Cronenberg had directed this. So I was kind of imagining before doing any research on it whatsoever, more of a 80s action movie, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger can make people's heads explode kind of action flick. <laughs> so, I mean, once I knew it was Cronenberg, I knew that wasn't going to be right. But obviously what I got was pretty much not the polar opposite of that, but pretty close to the polar opposite. It was definitely more a conspiracy thriller than I think I was expecting. Oh yeah, I actually watched uh, the Parallax View this past weekend as sort of uh, prep for this, since that's also a conspiracy movie. And I gotta say, uh, it made for a nice contrast, because this one, watching it a second time, when you've already seen the exposition at the ending, it's very straightforward. Everything just sort of, yep, makes sense, contributes to the story, moving on to the next scene kind of feel. Certainly by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely a conspiracy movie. But for the first half of it or so, it just, yeah, it seems more like a detective yeah. sort of story. Yeah, You don't quite know what it is for a good majority of it. Because like the, on the first viewing, I was just completely bewildered. I mean, it starts with a... A guy in, like, a food court, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, here's some bum in a food court. <laughs> yeah, I was actually really ready for that to be a much bigger part of the film. Food courts. Oh. Eating food <laughs> off other people's plate. You know, eating people's, like, leftovers. They just left at the table. <laughs> Who leaves that much of a hot dog behind? I feel like that guy took, like, a bite at most. <laughs> yeah, there's so much a hot dog. <laughs> Maybe he was in the bathroom. Maybe he was coming back. That's fair. He was in the bathroom being violently (laughs) ill from eating half a hot dog. (laughs) What we don't know is that he passed out from eating the hot dog, not the uh, sedatives. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you think of the the acting in this movie? Well, I mean, I thought the acting was fine. I like Michael Ironside a lot. I I, I liked everybody, but I think the... (laughs) Thing maybe you're getting at is that a lot of the acting is this sort of like we're having a mental battle sort of acting <laughs> which is fantastic in a way yeah. please make a face <laughs> the, the line between this movie being completely ridiculous and wonderful which for me it was was how like deathly serious everyone was when they were doing their weird scanner wiggles <laughs> like they, it, and I got to give some credit, obviously, to the direction of those scenes, to the music. I thought the music was amazing at setting these up as kind of like tense scenes when they could have just been like Pee Wee Herman silly. But like R.I.P. Paul Rubens. I know. But no, that I, I was amazed at how actually tense I felt during those scenes rather than, again, finding them completely ludicrous. It had me thinking of 
I mentioned it before during the Mary Marvel movie march. Just I think the scene where or uh, video where you can see I think Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner like without CGI like having <laughs> an X Men mental telepathy battle and just to, like how ridiculous it seems and to, like how like how do you even act for something like this? I thought they ended up doing a pretty good job. I mean it's ridiculous, but. I agree with you, Kevin. It's on the good side of ridiculous. Yes, exactly. So actually, I think more what I was commenting on was just I found uh, the main character to be a bit flatter, I think, than I was sort of expecting. That was, was that was the adjective that I was going to say about mostly him, but also some other line delivery as well. Yeah. He was exceptionally wooden, was kind of what I was thinking. And not like in a every man, you can imagine yourself in this role, but kind of in a distracting way. I did look up the Wikipedia for Stephen Lack, the actor who plays Cameron Vale, and he's primarily a painter, but prior to starring in Scanners, he actually was in a film called the rubber gun and the film was nominated for two genie awards which is a canadian award and so it's like i don't think he's bad necessarily i'm wondering if it's a matter of maybe the direction was for him to be very flat it could have been i mean maybe it looked like he was trying to project as much control as he could maybe that just came across as flat like i'll agree like Thinking back on it, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't the greatest performance ever. It made for an interesting contrast, I suppose, his acting versus when he had the scanning wiggles. Like, you know, (laughs) as as flat as possible versus whatever, again, you want to call that. He does intensity well, though, like when he's doing the scanning. I don't know. Maybe part of it is just because, you know, this also has like Michael Ironside in it and Patrick McGowan, who are both, I think, giving a little more um i don't really want to say like big performances because neither one really is big but i think they're a little more variable in level if that makes sense oh yeah yeah more range you mean yeah 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 yeah. Mm. more dynamic contrast or maybe even the direction was i want you to be the opposite of michael ironside (laughs) (laughs) which is possible which is possible yeah it's not like i thought he was bad or anything i just thought in comparison yeah oh yeah i mean for a guy who had uh I think thought he was insane for all of his life until a few days ago. Fair. Thought maybe there'd be a little bit more emotion coming from him, but eh. so they were tracking him. They always had eyes on him. Why did they decide to let him think he was crazy for the first 30, whatever years of his life instead of caring for him in any way, shape or form? Um, I don't know. Also, I found it very strange how we were just supposed to automatically, like, believe Michael Ironside. (laughs) 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 We're just like, oh, there's no need for to lie. It's like, of course, I'm going to tell you everything. It's like, well, well, but are you what's going on here? Well, this is their scanners, though. He would know if he was how it works. I guess maybe scanners can protect themselves from having their thoughts right. I don't know. Yeah, they really don't. They don't over explain the abilities. They do explain that, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> no matter what, though. I kind of like <laughs> that. It kind of sets up like, all right, you don't want to be scanned. You might not die, but you might have a little hangover from it. But you got to keep your mental ports uh, closed. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the first head explosion. Uh, the, the only head explosion, though. No, I guess I there's eye explosion. Yeah. Didn't do a lot of research, obviously, because I hadn't seen it. But in the like 10 minutes I had between the end of the movie and starting this podcast, I read a little bit 
And one of the things I read was that apparently that scene was supposed to open the movie, but audiences found it so like sort of intense and off-putting that they couldn't follow the plot for the rest of it because they were too busy like <laughs> recovering or something. So that's why they moved it like later on. I thought you were going to say the audiences found it too awesome. <laughs> like, might as well go home. Set up their expectations. Yeah. You've set a standard that you fail to meet for the rest of the film. Which in some ways kind of makes more sense structurally. If it like started with that and then they bring him in from the mall or whatever. Because they're like, oh, we need him. As opposed to like the weird, like, it seems like they stumble on him by happenstance. But no, it's really part of the plan or whatever. And it bookends the film, too, because you get that at the beginning and then you get it at the end. I felt like it could have used some scene like that in the middle. I mean, there's there's, you know, pyrokinesis and people getting shot, et cetera. Action. I mean, there definitely are explosions. They're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It's just computers and phone booths. Oh, yeah. I guess there is the computers. (laughs) And uh, school bus vans or whatever. Yeah. And making security guys think that they're pointing guns at their mothers. <laughs> Real emotional explosion. I liked the uh the bus scene too, because they crash into the record store. And I was like, oh what what posters are on the wall? Yeah, I might have spent too much time trying to recognize albums. <laughs> yeah. There was Oh no, uh, they're just walking all over those records. Eh, car drove over him. But I was, I was like, noting a couple of them. Is it Chuck Mangione yeah. I saw? <laughs> I saw one that was like, who's the who's the guy who wrote the taxi theme? It's like an album with a football on it. I recognize that one. I definitely was like, oh yeah, I forgot about the Atlanta rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Donna Summer album at one point. That was probably more distracting now than it may have been at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you make some good points. Now, thinking back about it, there's some good action set pieces in the middle. Yeah, and the computers that just explode and knock everybody across and out of the room. The guys that catch on fire. Yeah, yeah. Shotgun murder as well. A lot of shotgun murder. (laughs) A lot of being a really bad shot with a shotgun. (laughs) They're using it as a long distance thing, which I don't think is really the, the strong suit of the shotgun. I mean... That's only long distance if these were like doom shotguns or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like um, in comparison to shooting clay pigeons, they were probably about the same distance. And you really would have expected them to do better at it based yeah. on that. Maybe if they like didn't just hold them down like at their hips, they might have. <laughs> People hadn't yet developed the technology of using your shoulder to, <laughs> to and your eyes to aim. <laughs> I remember finding the art that the artist had created deeply upsetting. Very Cronenberg-y, <laughs> though I admit. Was, yeah, that was... Uh, I can't think of any particular piece that was upsetting, but it was definitely just, like, that was the Cronenberg vibe. It was really upsetting to me how they were inside the giant head, but it looked like there were teeth inside, but the teeth were, like, horizontal, but the head was lying on its side, mm-hmm. and I had questions. <laughs> <laughs> and it never fully exploded. True, they just threw a guy into it. Had like <laughs> cushions in it too for like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to hang out. <laughs> so you wouldn't want to have uh, any of his art in your Paris apartment then? <laughs> that is correct. 
Maybe in my uh, San Francisco apartment where Venom can throw it out a window. <laughs> <laughs> I think of the things that I remember for the first time around watching this. The stuff at the beginning, the stuff at the end, and then the art that this guy makes. I remembered a lot of that, like the gigantic head. So that actually did stick stick with me, that visual. I did not remember the giant head. I remembered that he was an artist and like a sculptor, but I didn't remember anything specific that he had sculpted. And then like the charred corpse at the end kind of looks like some of the stuff he was doing too. Kind of an interesting callback to it. Charred corpse looked a little too short to be Stephen Lack. (laughs) Well, it wasn't uh, mentally. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) what anymore? I mean, ostensibly, it was Cameron Vale's corpse. Yeah, right? no, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some contraction with the uh, the heat. I don't know. But, you know, like <laughs> grape versus raisin, kind of a similar effect with <laughs> yeah. burned out corpses. Classic scanner duel situation. Everyone's skeleton looks a little bit smaller than they expect it to look. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was taller. One thing about the art, which I I thought it was kind of interesting because there wasn't anything like that key to the plot about it. It kind of felt like we want a reason to put some really interesting art into the movie. Weird (laughs) stuff. It kind of felt like to me. I was like, Cronenberg, (laughs) he had it all lying around his apartment and he (laughs) figured, might as well use this. Well, like, yeah, like, uh, that was. I really appreciated it. Yeah. It it gave you some insight into uh, the artist himself. The was it Benjamin Pierce guy. So I feel like in that regard, it was definitely essential. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Helped put you inside the the mind. Yeah, it was about the atmosphere, not so much about the uh, sequence of events. They do find some interesting places to have action sequences. Like, that's better than just, like, an empty warehouse. And, you know, the computer stuff and the record store. How cutting edge do you think the uh, computer stuff was meant to be? 81? Um, It felt kind of 70s to me. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly in the computer room itself, that had a 70s feel to it. Well, you know, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't there in uh, 1981 to know. But well, I do wonder, like, what the public awareness of what the latest computer technology was at the time, because to actually the average viewing public probably didn't use computers at their job or anything like that generally back then. So I was wondering if, if there's a wider breadth of uh, public awareness that you could get away with using aged technology as uh, supposed to be cutting edge. I don't know. It was very nostalgic though here in 2023. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I want that <laughs> terminal. <laughs> I want to feel that what it is, what it's like to type on that keyboard. And it is connected to the phone system too. Basically, this is a very it was an early internet film, really. Real companion piece with war games. <laughs> I was going to mention that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was part of me that was like, this would be the most off the wall thing, but I was like, this is going to be an inside the computer movie now. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> like our lawnmower man adjacent. <laughs> what do you think Cronenberg is trying to say with this movie? Like, what themes did you see that you wanted to discuss? No, I, I think Doug mentioned earlier just that there doesn't seem to be a lot of extraneous stuff in this movie. So I think there's just a lot of themes that like come up very quickly and then maybe just aren't explored 
tons, which makes me even wonder if they're there. Like, I had a very, like, drug use or, like, addict sort of vibe from this movie, like, where he comes out in the, the shopping mall all disheveled and, like, then he's kind of going through withdrawals after that, lots of needles and... Yeah, the ephemeral and stuff like that. And I'm like, is, does this have something to do with drug use or like addicts? But in a lot of ways, that's kind of like discarded after the first quarter of the movie. Part of me did wonder about thalidomide. Yeah, the thalidomide, it comes up at the end. That's definitely a reference, but I don't know if it's a commentary or ex- not. You want to explain thalidomide for anyone who may not know? Uh, thalidomide was a drug that came out in the, I have to look that up, 50s? I think, yeah. Probably roughly when ephemeral was said to have come out or tested or whatever. Ephemeral allegedly was in the 1940s or 1950 at the latest, I think. Charlie, you don't just know off the top of your dome that thalidomide was a drug that was uh, marketed for morning sickness in Europe and caused uh, horrible birth defects because it's one of those drugs where it's got like... um, a right-handed version and a left-handed version. And one of those acts as a drug that inhibits the growth of blood vessels. So you ended up with like kids whose uh, arms and legs basically weren't there because they didn't have the blood supply to develop. On a bright side, it proves uh, the effectiveness of the American Food and Drug Administration because the drug was never actually marketed in America. Oh, I didn't never got that, approved. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, you see that with the the advertisement. I mean, it's clearly a reference to thalidomide. Yeah. But what it means beyond just like a reference, I don't know. I guess we should be wary of all those drug companies. Yeah. And what do you think about the fact that this movie in large parts is about like corporations versus corporations rather than say nation versus nation or something it's a little ahead of its time in that regard because that was a a much larger theme in pop culture in like the 80s and 90s so to see it at the beginning of the 1980s ahead of its time that's interesting we don't see any government representatives in this movie do we see any police officers even yeah there's some police officers when they crash the bus (laughs) Actually, now that you mention it, I'm thinking it's not really corporation versus corporation, though. Oh, you mean because it turns out that they're this working together or whatever? It turns out that he's it's at a subsidiary of Consec. Consider you have the the big speech at the end where uh, Daryl Rivak about how he's going to you know train all of this new generation of scanners to I don't know be his loyal army and take over the world or something. And he also expresses, uh, if I remember correctly, expresses some disdain for Obrist and uh, the scanners that she was working with. And so, like, if you think about it, she was basically trying to do this sort of uh, 1960s hippie ethos. Where, you know, where everyone was all coming together in this uh, Unimind thing until they were uh, brutally shotgunned to death <laughs> by the forces of the evil corporation. So maybe there's a theme a little bit there of the death of idealism at the hands of uh, 
corporate power. I was trying to find words to put to exactly that. The one thing I will say about it, though, is, as has been brought up, that Unimind thing exists for about 30 seconds of screen time before, once again, everyone gets unceremoniously shotgunned to death. I agree that that was definitely there. I would have liked to see a little bit more development of that in particular, because it kind of felt like that was, you know, the the crux that was the, you know, good versus evil almost point of the film but outside of that one scene you know even after that happens they don't really discuss in detail like what would be great about all all of the scanners sharing a brain you know it's it's alluded to a few times that like oh you know scanners represent like the next evolution of humanity or whatever but they don't really get into the nitty-gritty of why outside of their ability to explode other people's heads yeah, and maybe some of that's just a side effect of the stuff Charlie was talking about regarding the rushed production. Yeah, because there are a lot of good ideas. Like, as much as I hated when he said, oh, yeah, computers have nervous systems, too. I just thought about it for a second. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, it's electronics or whatever. And so he gets outside the computer and does all the stuff, and then we don't come back to it, which is fine. I think just a lot of interesting ideas here, which I think is why maybe, well, plus the movie did well, that there are sequels to it that Cronenberg had nothing to do with, but it feels like this could be a setup for more if you wanted it to be. So happy ending, not happy ending. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Creepy ending. (laughs) So I know it's a changed ending from what they had originally intended. So you would hope that it would be better, but well, yeah, originally intent. uh, I don't know. It wasn't clear. It's just that the battle I think was supposed to be different. I think they're both supposed to die. But they're like, oh, what if he just transferred into the other one? And it felt very much to me like, a, wait, what? And then the movie's over. <laughs> Not like a very satisfying ending to me. Wouldn't we really throw off the audience if we did this? Ha ha. The end. You don't think that's peak body horror to become Michael Ironside? <laughs> <laughs> but you at least get to keep your own eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I did just want to say that uh, Michael Ironside was the lead on sequest 2032 so our sequest podcast series continues (laughs) actually i'm just thinking for a moment about other movies i've seen michael ironside in like uh total recall and starship troopers x-men first class who is he in that one it's like a boat captain or something (laughs) does he get horribly mangled or injured i don't think so i think it's just cuban missile crisis stuff okay because I was thinking specifically of spoilers for Total Recall, but I think he gets his arms cut off in that one. And uh, well, there goes my pick for the next movie. <laughs> he's got like a mechanical arm for in Starship Troopers. <laughs> so definitely a guy who's uh, takes some punishment in his roles, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, I found the ending sort of initially unsatisfying, but also sort of like thought provoking. Because it's not really treated as like a happy ending or a terrible ending. Like it's sort of open ended. You're just supposed to draw your own conclusions about how you feel about this. And like it never like cuts back to Kim after the reveal to see like her reaction or anything like that. So I don't know. Kind of like that about it. And then we talked a little bit about it. But uh, let's talk a bit more about the the score, the music. Yeah. which uh, I did not realize was Howard Shore of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, we're talking about the production that you wouldn't see it all come together until you were editing and throwing that stuff in. And it's super important. Yeah. 
I don't know. It felt like the key element to me. It felt like the most important part of the movie, really. It it did a lot of the heavy lifting with with setting the tone and again just kind of amping up the tension where it needed to and yeah just just telling us how we should be feeling about sometimes kind of mundane things people getting out of <laughs> sorry I was gonna say getting out of a helicopter like that's a mundane everyday activity but you know like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in movies yeah like PharmaCorp gl- global exactly campus, I mean that's, that's pretty normal. <laughs> But no, it. I mean, it made things as as mundane as walking down a hallway both interesting and tense. So you mentioned the helicopter, and this is a little thing, but I just really enjoyed the cinematography of when they have the scene where they have the helicopter landing, just because like you can clearly tell that it's early in the morning, like you, people have long shadows and the light has this golden character to it. And I was like, wow, movies used to look really nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed at the, uh, at least on my Criterion Blu-ray, at the restoration and how good it looked. Did you catch that during the uh, scanner duel at the very end? At one point, Cameron Vale, ha- he has like a pinprick leak with blood just jetting out of it. Yeah, I did like, see that. Like uh, a leak in a hose. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty great. I was like, "This is this is a really nice transfer here." Because yeah, that's where the body horror actually comes in. I mean, th- the beginning, sure, the head explodes, but that's pretty quick, right? You're like, "Whoa!" But then at the end, you get a pretty extended sequence, especially the veins and yeah, the blood mm-hmm. popping out of it. Is that's where you really get into it, and it's, it looks amazing. The like giant holes, for lack of a better word. I don't oh know how to put yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> peeling parts of his face yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Looked really nice. Really gross. Oh, yeah, it's just making me think of the fly. I considered picking that, but I was like, oh, scanners is a little bit. One that maybe people would less likely to uh, have seen. Appreciative. I don't know that I want to see the fly. I don't think I could handle it. It is excellent, but yeah, there's a scene <laughs> where he's just taking his teeth out and... Nope, stop. Yeah, nope, that's nope, yeah, that, nope, and that's nope, that's like halfway through nope. the movie. That's not even like what it escalates to. Oh my gosh. Uh my limit is basically Videodrome. I don't know if I've seen and by I don't know if I've seen. I mean I don't know if I'm willing to watch Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> like if you consider some of the body horror stuff that you've seen in Doctor Who over the years, I don't know that there's anything there particularly worse in Videodrome. Mm, there's some good stuff in Doctor Who. Exactly. Like when Kane's face melts in uh, Dragonfire, that's good. Oh, also, uh, it's apparently part of the reason Stephen Lack's uh, delivery is fairly flat is because because of the script issues. He decided to sort of deal with the dialogue in a way that he was not reacting to things. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, that, I have the question answered. Because he didn't know at what point, like, the character knew anything. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's a mark of a good actor. He says, I, I know you'll be able to use this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. According to, again, according to Wikipedia, which is referencing uh, some book, it took nine months of editing and reshoots, which was... Uh, the Cronenberg stated scanners had the longest post-production of any film I've ever done. 
That makes sense. The shortest pre-production, yeah. longest post-production. Like like I said near the beginning of this episode, I didn't think that it was a matter of Stephen Lack being a bad actor. It Yeah, it's not exactly directorial decision, but it makes sense. Like, I don't know that it would have worked better with any sort of other way of playing it. Like, can, can you just imagine him just going from, like... Uh, bewilderment to uh understanding and then back to bewilderment depending on what scene you're in oh that'd be just completely uneven so what do people think of the movie thumbs up thumbs down i would, I would give it a thumbs up the end yeah <laughs> paul hadn't seen it before and he gave it a thumbs up <laughs> it it stood out to me in the music and and uh weirdness department i i think that i would i would give it a side thumb if it weren't for the way the, the score kind of carried it for me and blended in with some of the other direction choices like the voices that sort of thing like very auditory film i mean aside from the on visual horrors but like a lot of the shots i was kind of like we're okay we're just sort of looking at beige rooms and like guys in like you know sport coats or whatever but uh it's uh carried along really interesting uh atmosphere yeah i liked it i again the reason i picked it was just a little bit different than some of the movies we'd seen to this point and i thought it'd be interesting to talk about it's like not my favorite film ever and it's not something that i generally tell people oh you've got to go see scanners but it's fun i mean especially with all the production issues that they had it's put together pretty well i don't know i enjoyed it it's the type of movie i i could recommend but it's not like my top tier like sort of sci-fi movies yeah, I liked it as well. Like I said, a little more conspiracy thriller-ish than I was expecting, but I appreciated that vibe. Enjoyed. Do not regret watching. Do not regret buying the criterion of it. Yeah, and that was another thing I liked about it was that it's just different than you think it's going to be. No, sorry. I I, <laughs> I like that the movie's just different than you think it's going to be. Because it's on the Criterion Collection? Yeah. Is this our first Criterion movie? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also enjoyed it. This this had been my first time watching it. I, I don't have much to say that y'all haven't already said. Uh, the the direction obviously was a standout point of the movie. The uh, the score definitely. To read the synopsis of this, you could absolutely expect it to be any generic '80s action thriller. It was definitely unique and not the most upsetting Cronenberg movie I've watched. So thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah honestly the cover of the criterion may be more disturbing than the movie itself <laughs> yeah it's it's a decent movie the flat performance from the main character is a little off-putting but at the same time he he makes up for it by murdering a guy over the phone network with a computer <laughs> so <laughs> like, i gotta give it a thumbs up just on that alone and beyond that, I'm always a fan of pyrokinesis. The only thing that feels a little weird is just the fact that you get this weird stuff going on, weird stuff going on, investigating further, and then in the last five minutes, you just get this huge exposition info dump that explains it all. And it's like... That we're supposed to take on trust. Well, when you watch the movie again, everything seems consistent with that explanation. Okay. So... It is a different experience on the rewatch, that's for sure. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, everybody, for 
joining us again on the sci-fi shuffle and we're gonna spin that wheel roll those dice again and who's who's up next who gets to choose the next film i think it's me oh adam what are we watching next time i think we'll go for a slight change of pace and uh next time we will watch the 1993 film demolition man yay yeah I got more uh, cheers than I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting choice. (laughs) Well, I've never actually seen it, but it is. It's been sitting on my watch pile. So this seems like as good an excuse as any. It's been a while since I've watched it, not in VHS. So I think I might have the opportunity (laughs) to to see see it in HD. Especially the opportunity uh, for an inferior experience. Especially because we're coming up on uh, sci-fi September. Is that so? <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> what happens during Sci-Fi September? Uh, we do two Sci-Fi Shuffle episodes. <laughs> Which I realize is a lot of Sci-Fi, but that's because today was supposed to be Eternals, but Tony couldn't be here, so we had to shift some stuff around. But that doesn't mean Sci-Fi September is not happening, because... It's alliterative, so mm-hmm. it's a law. You have to do things that are alliterative when you're on a podcast. And you have to spell September with a C. Like September. Okay, that I'm not getting. What? Sep- like sci-fi. Sci-fi. S-C-I. September. It doesn't really work like from a pun standpoint, but it would look stupid if we wrote it that way. I'll allow it as long as you spell September with an R-E at the end rather than an E-R. Oh, okay. Yeah. So S-C-E-P-T-E-M-B-R-E. September. Why are we doing that? I I feel like a joke is happening here that I'm missing. I don't know. It just feels uh it feels a lot more appropriate with the uh, the scepter theme rather than the American spelling of scepter. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, we could not do that a scepter is a very sci-fi tool. We're kind of mixing genres here. We could do <laughs> sci-fi scene timber where we talk <laughs> we... about all the sci-fi movies that are also scene movies. Oh well, if we're doing James Bond, then we'd have to do like a. A Spectre September. <laughs> <laughs> That's James Bond January. <laughs> I feel like I'm forgetting how to read as we continue. <laughs> <laughs> For another edition of the Gobeski College Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and thanks to our three guests, we had Paul Wilcox. Thanks for having me. Kevin Bredevog. It was a pleasure to be here. And Doug Gobeski. It was fun, as always. What is a scene sci-fi movie? I don't actually you'll, know what scene have, is. Yeah, honestly. refresh me on that, because I'm thinking emo in the early 2000s, but I know it's not that. That's <laughs> yeah, more or less what I had in mind. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so is that Donnie Darko? I yes. haven't seen Donnie Maybe, Darko. Yeah, yeah I'm actually, guessing. that probably is. No, you got it. That's the, that's it. I think that's the only scene movie. (laughs) (laughs) The only scene sci-fi movie. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website, GobeskiWallsReport.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. Just follow us at GW Report. And we're on the Facebook as well. Just like our page, the Gobeski Walls Report. 
I kind of forgot what was happening. <laughs> it's always so hard with the Twitter with like the at. Like you don't have to say at, do you? I don't know. That's a question for the listeners to decide. Consider you have the the big speech at the end where uh, Daryl Revok is Revik Revok is it like Revok, is it Revik or Revok? I think Revik because I don't know that they're consistent throughout the movie in their pronunciation. Like I Charles? think somebody even pronounces Daryl differently at at some point. Like I thought it was Revik, but I that okay. could just be my head conflating it. All right, maybe I'm just thinking about sho- uh, shoes. Yeah, you know, so put on my Revoks. So Daryl Revick is Go trying... for a run in my Revox. You done? Maybe play some basketball in my Revox. I'm not done until I get a reaction <laughs> from people.